0: Wonderful things that God is doing this summer, and that includes people coming to know Him, how we're growing in our faith together. We love what God's doing in the next gen ministry, middle school, high school. This week is high school camp. They take off today, come back Thursday. Can you pray for the high school camp this week and what God will do in the lives of the next generation? Can I get an amen? All right, ready to pray and ready to see the lives are going to be changed. And uh, we love what God's doing in the next generation here at church. We're in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. The theme today is the capacity of Jesus. And as we go through the book of Revelation, we grow in our awe, in our wonder, and in our worship of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation reveals who he is. And Jesus is speaking to his followers, and he's encouraging them to keep going and not give up. The capacity of Jesus inspires us. We're in Revelation chapter two. If you ever need a Bible, let us know. We'll provide one for you. It's pretty accessible on your phone as well. And I encourage you to dive into these chapters alone, in a life group, and together. Let that be your rhythm during the week, alone in the word, in a life group, in a family, a a close connected community of friends, and then together as well. Let God's word dwell in us richly. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. Jesus, we thank you how you speak to us. We're listening. Our ears are open. Our minds, God, renewed by you in our will, in alignment with heaven. We worship you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. No one is more committed to churches than Jesus. Jesus consistently cares for churches, communicates, comforts, He loves the local church. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we also serve and build up the local churches. This is God's heart. And as Jesus communicates to seven different churches, historically, this took place about 90 years after his birth. He's talking to these seven different churches, and I encourage you to listen to his words and also listen to his heart you're gonna hear the heart of Jesus in the messages he brings throughout the book of Revelation. This is the resurrected Lord. You might wonder, what has the resurrected Lord said? Well, we have it right here in the book of Revelation, so don't skip this book, don't take it into some strange places, heretical places, but let's solidly walk through this book. Today, you can bring your suffering to Jesus. The capacity of Jesus, he is able to carry our burdens You can bring that suffering to him because he is faithful, and he will fortify your faith if you're going through a difficult time. He will build up your faith as you trust him. We're in Revelation chapter 2, and our passage is shorter, starting in verse 8. This is to the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life, he who has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. When I see the city Smyrna, I think of Smyrna, Tennessee, because the person who led me to Jesus in college is from that small town in Tennessee. Smyrna, Tennessee, I traveled back there to thank him and celebrate with his family. In a dormitory where very few people knew Jesus, he had the courage to knock on my door. My whole life, no one had the courage to tell me about Jesus. He was the very first one. And I'm so thankful on our campuses, middle school, high school, college campuses, for students who share their faith, who don't shrink back, because there's people like me out there who have never heard and are interested. And when I see the word Smyrna, I just thank God for Mike Helton and the courage that God gave him to share the gospel. And I hope that we, too, will share the gospel with our neighbors and our loved ones. Smyrna here is not Tennessee. What? That's not Tennessee? No, that's present-day Turkey. And it's one of seven churches. Take a look at this map as you think about the churches in the book of Revelation. John is on the island of Patmos, and it's just off the coast there. You see Ephesus, that was our message last week as we took a look at the church that had lost their first love. And the second message is Smyrna, traveling north about 35 miles, still on the coast. This is a city where there's a lot of trade. This is a major port city in what was then Asia Minor. And it is the only of the seven churches then, the only city that still exists today. And we have a couple pictures. Uh, Take a look at, there it is. Uh, Ismail is thriving, you can tell. Then there was a lot of wealth for the city in the Bible. There's a lot of wealth, a lot of industry, a lot of commerce. And... Beautiful place. I feel like we're doing tourism for Turkey right now in these pictures, but you can see this city has survived. Now, beautiful on the outside, going back to the biblical times, there was a stadium, there were a theater, a library. The city really appeared to be flourishing, but spiritually there was idolatry and there was immorality. And sometimes on the outside, someone's life might look like it's flourishing, but on the inside, there's a different story in their soul. And what was happening then? Well, their souls, they had emperor worship, idolatry. They also would build temples to Zeus and Apollos, Aphrodite, more idolatry. They had prosperity materially and in their careers, but their souls were sick. And we can relate in America, sometimes we're so busy building the outside that we ignore and neglect the inside and the living water Jesus has for us. What do you do when the culture increasingly is pushing against and opposed to the Savior and Scripture? Persecution was intense in Smyrna. And how do you respond where there's persecution and opposition to Jesus? Think through Clarity, and God will give it to you, clarity about what matters most. Remember your calling, and this is how you live. There's a calling on your life. Jesus has called you for such a time as this with great purpose, and also commitment to overcome and keep honoring Jesus. Clarity to know what matters, a calling on your life to follow the Lord, and commitment to keep going when the opposition increases. If they're bolder about sin, we're gonna be bolder about Jesus. You watch today and there's a spectrum from this side, Christians who are very complacent to this side where Christians are very courageous. And as the opposition increases, you will make your decision. Am I going to lean towards complacency and kind of fit in with the culture? Or am I going to be courageous for Christ because he called me to pick up my cross daily and follow him? And you think of that spectrum and where you are right now and where you want to be and how is God moving you as we listen to this message? You say, well, if I'm going to be courageous, there's going to be suffering for Christ. Here's an important distinction. In life, there's two kinds of suffering. There's necessary suffering and unnecessary suffering. The Bible says the necessary suffering, we endure it. The unnecessary suffering, we need to exit We need to exit from the unnecessary suffering. Well, what is some of the necessary suffering? For Christ followers then, Rome was in charge. And for all Roman citizens, they had to declare Caesar is Lord. And that was a political statement. It's also a spiritual statement. Caesar is Lord. When they declared Caesar is Lord and there was emperor worship, they would receive a certificate saying they've completed their duty. Well, what would happen if a Christian refused to say Caesar is Lord and said Jesus is Lord, it could be the death penalty. It could be execution. It could also be exclusion from certain jobs and social circles. There was a range of persecution if you followed Jesus as Lord. But that was necessary. Jesus says here that the church had poverty. And we don't know the extent. But if there's sanctions for those who declare Jesus is Lord... The result could easily be poverty in the church. Yet Jesus says, You are rich. Not rich with deep pockets, but you're rich in faith, rich in love, rich in the promise of God, rich in the peace of God, rich in the presence of God. And that kind of wealth is greater than anything you could stack up in your retirement or your 401k. Rich in the right ways. Jesus is commending this church. They're continuing to honor the Lord and there's lots of persecution. Well, what are some examples today of unnecessary suffering? Overspending, having no budget or no self-control, unnecessarily going into debt and letting that interest compound against you. Overstressed, because you've said yes to too much, maybe didn't pray about it, didn't set limits, didn't say no. Stressed, unnecessarily, because you're trying to please everyone. Trying to please everyone, you think it's going to alleviate some stress. It actually adds stress. It's unnecessary suffering. Trying to please everyone will be cruel. It'll land you in a tired spot, in a target you'll never hit. What else? Over-isolated, not connected, not, you know, let's say in Bible study, not serving, just over-isolated. That's going to lead to unnecessary suffering. Dating the wrong person. You want to talk about a fast track to unnecessary suffering? That's just dating the wrong person right there. Don't sign up for that one. Carrying resentment, you don't have to carry. You're carrying bitterness still. You're carrying resentment. You've got some grudges. You're trying to get revenge. You're kind of hostile and you don't need to be anymore. You don't need to be. It's unnecessary. It's not godly suffering. Rejecting God's love and God's truth. Worrying is always unnecessary suffering. It's optional. Jesus says, don't worry. But a lot of people are like, no, I'm going to worry. I'm going to worry some more. I'm going to worry some more. And what do we do when we go through this? A lot of times what comes out of people's mouths is, look what God's doing to me. Look what God's bringing in my life. And the answer is the exact opposite. God is saying, you don't need that. I'm going to set you free from that. That unnecessary burden you're carrying, let's lift it in Jesus' name because my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you don't have to suffer any of that if you follow Jesus. There's a whole lot of unnecessary suffering going on in the church these days and there's a lot of confusion about what's necessary and what's unnecessary. We need to distinguish in 2022, know what God does not want you to endure. You might be enduring a lot of things right now that God does not want you to endure. Jesus wants to set you free, and you can declare, this is not coming with me. God is calling me forward. God is calling me to the next level. God is calling me to walk by faith, and this can't come with me. This resentment can't come with me. This dating relationship can't come with me. This overspending can't come with me. This trying to please everybody can't come with me. I'm going to be free in Jesus' name today, and you can leave a lot lighter than what you came in. And don't say, these burdens are from God. No, God's the one who's going to lift those burdens and set you free. Well, the flip side of that is know what is worth suffering for now. The things that are worth suffering for don't shrink back from those things. We often say we want to become like Jesus. We want the church to become like Jesus. Well, how does the church, the people of God, become like Jesus? Well, individually, we become like Jesus. We spiritually mature and become like Christ Well, here's the consequence of that. When you become like Jesus, you will be treated like Jesus. Well, I only want the first part. I just want to become like Jesus. I don't want the treated like Jesus part. So we try to pretend like there's a version that we can become like Jesus, but not treated like Jesus. If there was social media today, imagine what Jesus would receive in the DM. Just imagine that. Jesus laid down his life, and Jesus was murdered. He was despised. He was hated. There were death threats continually. I think it's, easy, it's interesting how many people think they're going to become like Jesus and just slide by all the opposition and the persecution and just fit into the world. That doesn't exist, folks. And I'll tell you, there's no one more revolutionary than Jesus, He said the first shall become last and the last shall become first. Blessed, it's better to give than to receive. Forgive everyone fully, pray for and love your enemies. Build up the kingdom at any cost, right? He keeps saying these things and doing these things that are revolutionary and you know what we've tried to do? We've tried to make Jesus very, very bland. We've tried to take all the spice out of Jesus and make him as bland as he can be and say, I follow that Jesus. I follow the bland Jesus. I don't see the bland Jesus in the Bible. Can you show me the bland Jesus in the Bible because who I see is a revolutionary who's come to flip this world upside down with a kingdom that's invisible and eternal. I just don't see that option that I'm going to follow that bland Jesus. Well, there's no bland Jesus in the book of Revelation. He is the resurrected king of kings and lord of lords. And you need to know that if you're going through some persecution for your faith. In Smyrna, they had it coming from every direction. The Gentiles, with allegiance to Rome, wanted to wipe them out. There were Jews in the city who opposed them. In fact, the opposition there was so intense. And it's important to note Jesus was Jewish. And that Jesus loves Jewish people, and we love Jewish people. I have a rabbi in my family. I have many Jewish people in my family love Jewish people. This particular synagogue here in Smyrna, Jesus says it's a synagogue of Satan. Well, what does that mean? That doesn't sound very politically correct. Uh, He is saying that they are serving the purposes of Satan in Smyrna as they're trying to wipe out and kill the Christians, Again, we love Jewish people. Jesus is talking specifically in a very frank way about a synagogue there in Smyrna. All that intensity. And you think of the name Smyrna, and when you unpack it, the root word there is myrrh. Think of that word myrrh. Now, where does that sound familiar? We think of that at Christmas time. There is a paradox with myrrh that mirrors the paradox of the Christian life. On the one hand, when you think of myrrh, you might think of a fragrance. A perfume. There's an anointing there that's tied in that anointing oil with myrrh. And you might think in the Nativity, the birth of Jesus, they came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There is a birth metaphor there with myrrh. Now, there's also a death component with myrrh. Myrrh was a symbol of death, embalming a body that was deceased. When the ladies showed up at the tomb of Jesus, they brought spices. We don't know for sure, but they could have been bringing myrrh. There is both a birth with myrrh and a fragrance unto God, and there's also a bitter suffering with myrrh. And the two go together. For the followers of Jesus and Smyrna, they knew of the life and the richness of faith in Jesus and their inheritance forever, and they also knew that their friends and family were being killed, and they didn't know who would be there next week. Myrrh. Smyrna, the paradox of the Christian life. Jesus sends out his closest followers in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, with this instruction and this perspective. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Notice that Jesus knew his followers would be killed, and he still sent them out. He knew there would be martyrs and he still sent them out because the cost of Jesus and the willingness to lay down your life so that more would come to know him is part of your calling. And he says, as they're killing you or your friends or your family and your church is getting small because people aren't alive anymore, as that's happening, remember the perspective that those persecutors do not have the final say. They will be held accountable to God. And ultimately, don't make it your goal to live comfortably and dodge all the persecution, but just remember who you honor and you'll glorify to your last breath. Those aren't instructions from a bland Jesus with a bland calling. That calling hasn't changed to change this culture and to change the nations and to bless the nations and to bless people locally and to do it courageously. That hasn't changed. In Smyrna, there's a name that's associated with this city, Polycarp. Polycarp was one of our church fathers. And about halfway through the second century, he was killed. Now, he was the bishop of Smyrna, and history, some people would report that he was a disciple of John. John is the author here. John, one of the 12, the only one that wasn't killed for his faith. John wrote five books in the Bible the Gospel of John, first, second, third, John, and the book of Revelation. Well, again, tradition tells us that John discipled Polycarp and that he also anointed him into this role, bishop of Smyrna. Well, do you know what happened to Polycarp? He was burned. He was burned alive for his faith because they were sending a message. This is what's going to happen to anyone who follows Jesus in Smyrna. Your leader will be burned alive, and you're going to see this so that you'll shrink back and you'll stop leading people to Jesus. So be quiet, church. This is what we do to followers of Jesus. He was burned at the stake, and you know what happened? Tradition tells us that he didn't actually die. He came close to death but didn't die, so they stabbed him to make sure that everyone saw that he was dead. You look at the martyrs in the tradition of the faith and be be encouraged, have courage, find a backbone. This is the DNA starting with Jesus and the history of the church. It's no time to shrink back right now. In Smyrna, they did not shrink back. You say, well, why did churches get smaller in Smyrna? Because the people were getting killed. Why did churches get smaller now? Well, because it's more convenient to watch from home And they did something that I don't fully like. And sometimes we just wander and drift and petty, and it's reflective of a deeper passion and commitment to Jesus that we just so often haven't captured. So church becomes a little bit of entertainment, like, well, how good's the entertainment today? The last thing this place ever is, is one of entertainment. This is a place of kindness and love, passion for the truth, scripture, the word, development, growth, spiritual maturity, change the world, equip. You are a priest and ambassador. That's what this place is about. That's what the church in Smyrna was about. Well, it challenges my definition of success and quality of life. I want to say it so clearly to you today that your quality of life is not your ease that you live with. And your quality of life is, is not linked to your possessions. And the quality of life is not even linked to the length of your life. We have this misnomer in our culture that a high quality life is one where you live long, you have incredible possessions, and you can enjoy comfortable ease. And that is not the story of Jesus' life, and that is not the picture that he paints. Now, if you live long, praise God, If you have some blessings to enjoy, that's great. I'm not saying don't enjoy those blessings, but the quality of life ultimately will never be linked to your level of comfortability, even the length of your life or your ease or material possessions, it never will. Well then what will the quality of my life be linked to? The quality of your relationships and building up the kingdom of God. That's what life is about. That's what the life that is truly life is about. Follow Jesus, abundant life, abundant relationship with God, relationship with other people, abundance. And out of that, yes, it starts at home. Eventually it comes to church as well. And out of that, build up the kingdom of God because that's what will last, not our possessions. And that's a paradigm shift. Wait a minute, I've been climbing the wrong ladder for a long time. Well, if so, come on down and here's the other ladder. It's called the kingdom. And actually, down is up. Let's go. Let's go. So that challenges us. It changes us. When there's more challenges than you wanted or expected, than you're used to, than you've ever tasted, than you thought would happen, you say, it's worth it. For Jesus it's worth it. For the kingdom, it's worth it. For changed lives, it's worth it. And in fact, spiritual growth is often fueled by the challenges and the suffering that we go through. Here's the next truth. Know that worshiping Jesus will change your perspective and your perseverance. We're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 4 and 5, springboard there today, because in those two chapters, it's, time of worship it's coming before God's throne and I believe the suffering they're going through in Smyrna leads them to the throne of God if you haven't spent time in these two chapters recently spend time in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 this is uh, from Revelation chapter 4 starting in verse 8 what's happening each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around even under its wings day and night they never stopped saying so you can listen to this The throne of God in heaven, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And if you don't like repetition, you're going to be challenged in heaven. because there's a whole lot of repetition in heaven. Holy, 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 that word is gonna echo throughout heaven and when you get tired of hearing the word holy, you're gonna hear holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And look at verse 11, well what else? What are they declaring? You are worthy. What do we declare in the middle of our suffering? You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they were created, and they have their being. When we say glory, honor, power belongs to you, Jesus, we are aligning with heaven. Do you get a taste of the worship in heaven? How passionate is your worship? I'm not even talking about this building. I'm talking about during the week. Where are you with worship? Because when the worship shrinks, the complaining increases. When the worship shrinks, the self-consumed increases. When the worship shrinks, the perseverance starts to decline. Those are linked to worship. If they're falling down, falling down humbly in heaven on their knees, on their faces. Doesn't that call us to spend a little more time on our knees and on our faces? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that cause us to see God and magnify him and we might decrease just a little? Doesn't that put it in its right spot? How are you doing on your knees? How are you doing on your face? It's just a physical posture, but it's good for your soul. It reminds us of our humility before God and the greatness of God and that he is worthy and that we are willing to serve or suffer for the name of Jesus. That's the posture and song of heaven. Don't miss it. As it is in heaven, may it be done here on earth. So that just challenged my worship. Kind of does, doesn't it? Kind of does. 24-7, that's the worship in heaven. Not one day, one hour, couple songs. They're praising Jesus. That's the only heaven. You say, well, I want the heaven without the songs and the loud praise, without the repetition and without the angels, and I want that heaven. That heaven's not there, folks. This is the only heaven. Here's the perspective. Jesus says you're gonna be in prison. There's gonna be persecution. The devil, this name devil, it means accuser. The devil's the accuser. The Holy Spirit builds you up. The devil wants to take you down, steal, kill, and destroy. For 10 days, what does that mean? There'll be a starting point and an ending point in Smyrna. You're going to notice this intense persecution. You're going to suffer, but you're going to make it through this. We're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. Today, do not be afraid. This is emphatic. He says, stop being afraid. And he says, out of tenderness and love, you don't need to be afraid. You've got nothing to fear because of Jesus. And here's the perseverance. He says, be faithful even to the point of death, and you'll receive the crown of life. That crown was not a crown over the head, but it's a reference They had athletic competitions, and the ultimate goal was a wreath, a wreath of victory, this crown of victory, this wreath that you will receive. In athletic competitions, it was the ultimate accomplishment. You will receive no greater reward than from Jesus himself, who will crown you with that victory wreath, saying, Well done, my good and faithful servant, for continuing to run the race even to the very end, and for going the distance, Church of Smyrna, when slander, afflictions, prison, Times of being beaten and mistreated come. Don't use that as a license for sin. There's a whole lot of people who drift from God, aren't faithful to God, and the reason is, well, this person did that to me, and I experienced that over there, and this person also said that, so I'm not going to do this. Don't use that opposition as a blank check for sin or rationalization. Instead, this is your time of growth, of purity, and faith. The setting... Of deep persecution is one where maturity happens, light shines the brightest, testimonies are powerful, and also reliance and nearness to God increases. Spend time in worship. Linger in God's presence. Listen to his voice. Let him love you perfectly. And as you do that, see, you're carrying some things today. You're carrying a calling and you're carrying unnecessary burdens. You're carrying both. As you worship, your calling gets stronger and clearer, and the unnecessary burdens get smaller. The lack of worship, your unnecessary burdens increase, and your calling starts to get kind of dim. So wherever you are today, worship God with all your heart. Your calling becomes clearer. The unnecessary burdens start to fade. And the last one, know that Jesus' love is your fuel. When Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, the two words, I know, it's a double meaning. I know, meaning I'm aware of the suffering and the situation you're going through. I know what you're going through. If he knows the number of hairs on your head, that's a metaphor. That's a metaphor for every detail of your life. He knows it. He knows everything. No one else knows. Your spouse doesn't even know and fully understand. What you're going through today, Jesus knows it. And he also knows what it's like to be mistreated. No one suffered more than Jesus. So he is aware of what you're going through. He knows what it's like to suffer. And he's saying this to encourage the followers of Jesus in this town of Smyrna where they are being tested to the core. And he says, I died and I came to life again. The love of Jesus will increase your capacity. Of the seven churches in these letters, this church right here has no rebuke. No rebuke. Church in Smyrna, you are on track right now, no rebuke, just receive more of the love of Jesus so that you can endure what is coming, because it's not going to get easier, it's going to get more difficult where you live, so receive more of the love of Jesus and live fully for him. Revelation chapter 5, here's another glimpse of worship in the throne, another glimpse of heaven, and Jesus' love. Starting in verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll, and it's seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it has been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. Again, seven's a number of completion. Horns representing power, eyes representing he can see everything, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Notice, Jesus is the lamb first of five aspects of his love, it's a sacrificial love. And he is the lion, a triumphant love. Jesus has a sacrificial love, a triumphant love. Let's keep going with Revelation chapter 5. And we see this, three more aspects of his love. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood You purchase for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Our church is becoming more and more multi-ethnic, people from every nation. We're looking more and more like heaven. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then we read, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, is heaven going to be quiet? Hmm. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. With a loud voice, they proclaimed it. Because it's hard to hold back when you're in the presence of Jesus. When you see Jesus face to face, you're going to bow down in worship in silence. You're going to shout in praise some of you might not realize it, but you might even dance in great joy. Some of you are going to be still in reverence. It's going to be as purest expression of adoration and thanks and worship to Jesus. That's what's happening in heaven. Again, why? Because of his love. It's an international love. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented. It's an intentional love. He chose to pay the ultimate price for our sins. And it's an eternal love that will never diminish or fade or run out. In our lives, we get tastes of love, and it tastes so good. We just want to hold on to those morsels. Sometimes those morsels can become idolatry. But ultimately, any taste of love points us to Jesus, who is the source of love, and the church in Smyrna needs to receive his love. Receive his love. It will sustain you and inspire you. Tired parents who are today, here today, receive his love afresh. I loved going to Young at Heart, some of our seasoned saints, Receive his love afresh today. Students where you feel like your faith is under fire in every class and conversation, receive his love today. Those of you who have been serving, underappreciated, undervalued, receive his love today. Those of you who have been cruelly attacked by family and abusive situations, receive his love today. And those of you who are in a workplace where people mock your faith, receive his love today because his love is going to fuel you to run the race, fight the fight, and finish, finish in the strength and love of Jesus. Amen. That's what he's saying to church in Smyrna. You are on track. Now receive more of his love. And you might look back at the end of your life and say, I don't know how I made it through that. Do right. You ever feel that looking back at different seasons? I don't know how I made it through that season. It's the love and the strength and the presence of Jesus that carried the church of Smyrna that'll carry us today. God can carry you through whatever you're facing today, and he heals hearts. That's our God. Let's let's pray as we prepare our hearts. Jesus, your words are weighty, and we hear your voice clearly. We thank you for the church in Smyrna that didn't go sideways but continued in your love. They stayed the course and they finished strong. God help us to put our eyes on you today, Jesus. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your love. Help us, God, in this culture to transform, to transform the places where we live, work, learn or play with your love. Fill us afresh today with the Holy Spirit. In our weakness, may you be powerful. God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you to make a first-time decision to follow you, Jesus. And I pray for anyone here who hasn't been baptized to make a decision to honor you through water baptism. God, I pray for anyone here who's feeling isolated, to be connected, serving life groups, teams. God, I pray for anyone here who's in financial need that they would share so that we could help them out. I pray for anyone here, God, who needs prayer, that they would come forward to the prayer team today and receive prayer. Strengthen your body with your words and your love today, Jesus. And we pray in your name, Lord. Amen, amen.